Welcome to Chasing Squirrels Podcast. I am really, really excited for the conversation today for a couple different reasons. Um, it's it's pretty wonderful where one podcast can kind of handshake or dovetail to the next podcast. So quite a few months ago, I tried to set up a conversation with Richard Erdman, and I'm, I'm happy I have that one in the bank, and you can listen to that episode talking about being a digitally enhanced or accelerated principal. And when I finally got that conversation finished, coming out of the conversation, both he and another colleague, Monica Wand, mentioned that if I have any interest at all in learning about outdoor ed or place-based education or just seeing how a classroom can be expanded by including outdoor spaces that I should talk with Tanya Murray. So in trying to set that up, as it always does, takes a little bit of time. And I'm really, really happy to say I finally got Tanya on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Tanya. Thanks, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Cool. Could you throw down just a little bit of an introduction for yourself, what you're doing right now in education? Sure can. You've hit me at a, a, a very interesting part, a very exciting part um, in education. And that is that in September, a new role, a new adventure awaits me um, at the board office. Um, so I'll be taking on a, a newly created role, which is also the exciting part. Uh, it's a consultant position in our board that supports uh, building capacity for environmental literacy and outdoor learning. So the, the new role, it's a uh, rule f- new for you or new for the board? It is new for me and it is new for the board. So both, um, which is very exciting. It's almost people have asked me what uh, the mandate will be, what the portfolio will look like. And although I know a little bit about that, I, I think the exciting part about this job is we really get to create it and navigate um, and take risks and figure out what this role might look like in our board. So I've had a I've had a similar moment with somebody else that was moving into let's say the leadership position where where they did have the freedom to to create the position and the question I guess the conversation that we had is does it does it help does it does it help in creating a position like this when you when it really is like you so for instance if the board suddenly decided to create a podcasting position and the fact that you know and they say okay you can develop the curriculum and the angle and stuff like that um and i come in i'm like well i've done a few podcasts i guess i can do it but i always wonder when you know that area of specialty is not just what you've learned but it's kind of what you live and breathe how does that does how does that sort of play into you into your your planning does it help does it kind of distract what do you think um, I think for me, it's just uh, there's a certain um, excitement that goes with that. There's it's an intersection of my uh, personal life and professional life right now, really, and mm-hmm. all the things that maybe I had been trying to fit in outside of teaching um, because I was passionate about those things and I still wanted to stay connected to those organizations and those movements. Now I'm able to actually hone in and focus on those exclusively and and almost um, bring them more to life within our board in a, in a more systems way. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, it's it's kind of like where it feels like being recognized or noticed. It's just it's You're dreamy. sort of like okay, now the board's <laughs> kind of they're they're kind of seeing me. They're kind of, or seeing seeing the the activities that would benefit kids and even benefit um, the board as a whole. Let's say. Well, that, and that's what's exciting to me is that um, I think outdoor learning, environmental literacy, whatever you're calling it, right? Um, there's so many different entry points. But what is exciting is that at the systems level, that this is really being recognized. And <clears throat> not only money is being thrown down, but resources and people are excited and inspired. And um, I think as a board, that is that that to me is the most exciting part about this job is that it actually just exists, right? Um, because five years ago, this would be uh, a dream for me, right? I remember talking about it. It would be wonderful if there, this pos- mm-hmm. position was in the board and now it's here. It's That's, that's I think, is the most exciting part. So um, the, the, 
your heart, as you mentioned, your heart and soul, like this is a portfolio that that bridges or embraces, I guess, personal professional. I'd like to back up a little bit, though. So coming into teaching, what's a little bit of your backstory there? Did you have um, teachers in your family? Was education, you know, a second thought? Did you always want to be a teacher? What's your sort of EDU origin story? Yeah, um, well, it's actually funny because my mom was a teacher and uh, she worked in alternative education as, as uh, similar to you. And I remember saying, I'm never going to be a teacher, right? I'm not, I'm not going to be a teacher. I want to be an education. I want to be an educator. I want to work with children, but I didn't want to be a, a teacher. And I, maybe part of the reason was I just didn't see myself in a classroom, right? I always saw myself um, kind of outside the box. And so for quite a long time, I, I resisted teaching um, and I was a wilderness guide. And then I worked for uh, an organization um, actually here in York region called Trails Youth Initiative. And um, I was a director there for several years, um, taking kids on um, a four year experience. And I learned so much from that. And at the end of that kind of phase, I decided um, that actually what I really wanted to do is make a difference and how could I make a difference um, in the in the largest capacity and I decided to jump in to, uh, to teaching. So I started in junior, went to intermediate, down to primary. I've been in all the divisions and I guess that's important to me because I just love working with kids of all ages. I think um, it doesn't matter to me. There isn't one age group that I prefer. I've, uh, you know, at Trails, I worked with secondary students and elementary students. And um, I imagine through having kids of my own, I've moved down to more of the early years and really have been loving that lately um, in terms of mm. working with those young people who are sponges and really want to um, kind of learn about the world around them and are curious about that. So when it comes to outdoor learning, it sometimes doesn't get any better than working with those early years. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I think uh, in terms of my story, I feel like it's always been about connecting to nature. And when I look back, um, it's not just about students and student voice, because I've always been passionate about student voice, but um, it's about kind of like my colleagues too and being open so that they have a voice as well especially ones that you know maybe a new teacher who didn't doesn't feel like they have a lot to offer I've always been one to stand up and say you do have so much to offer right and just making sure that everyone who is surrounding me has um, that voice and I think outdoor learning has shown me that it is such a platform for all kids all students all teachers all administrators, everybody has a story that connects to some sort of outdoor space. Um, so I, I just love tapping into that. That's awesome. You, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The you know my my backstory to teaching was um, I worked in hospitality for many years, and it just it I came to a space in life where I felt like there was time for change. There was. Um, there was opportunity to move forward further into hospitality or to try something new. And I've found that my change into education as a teacher has been amazing because I think when I moved into education, I looked at it as a, a door opening, a door closing. So choosing that path into education meant that my hospitality stuff might not be applicable. I'm going to move. I'm going to become a teacher now. It's a rite of passage, okay. you know, you move through that, <laughs> move through that portal and you are now something different. But I will say some of the most amazing moments, I think, in my, um, in my 12 years so far are the ones where I've been to, I've been able to kind of harmonize my life experience with a classroom moment in time where the student is right there at the center. Like they, they, they're there yeah. so they can exist in your story. They can exist in whatever yeah. they're learning. And it strikes me that this is something that um, in looking at a, a really broad kind of swath of what um, outdoor education can be, what I keep coming back to is how, how student centered it is. Like just they, they exist 
the information seems to suggest that just by being outside and making decisions that go along with being outside from dressing yourself to walking carefully to noticing to there's just something that more naturally puts the student at the center of that story what do you say to that yeah and they're just i mean they're they are um they're so engaged that um really the the challenges you might have in the four walls of a classroom just don't seem to exist and they seem to have space to to deal with what they need to deal with whether it's right self-regulation and they need to to move their body a little bit and then come back um or hyper focus on something in the in the forest i just think um it's it is all about student voice and i think um, I'm still get, like reaching a point where I catch myself all the time going back to, you know, am I leading this or are they leading this? And uh, especially with young people, right? We really want them to be recognized as capable and competent. And I think you could say that not just in early years, all the way up. I, I mean, on my Twitter feed, I, I found this quote and I don't know who wrote it, but it's so true that all these things change and there's all of these trends that come up. Um, but really, kids um, are the same, and they love to have time to play outside. They're learning when they're playing. They love time outdoors, and they love to be heard and valued for who and what they are. I think that that is um, really important, and I have got to know students so much like on such a deeper level when I'm outside with them. Um, and I said that way back when I would lead canoe trips, I want to bottle it up. I'd always ask, why is it so magical? Why do people really learn about themselves? Why can they open up? Why are they, you know, they can be vulnerable yet learn and take risks. Why is it that this environment uh, creates that? And um, I, I think we have a lot of research that backs that, but I think there's still this untouchable um, piece that I wish we could allow people to see why it's so powerful. Um, and when they come along and they're there and they experience it at the same time, um, they see it often. Um, but I think if you're not there, you, you often wonder, is it just an add-on or is it really as, as rich as, um, as people talk about it? Yeah, you, you bring to mind, I mean, richness, absolutely. Um, I find myself this summer offering up far more hey kids to my own children let's 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 go for a walk and they'll say where are we going and i'm like it's a walk you come with like let's yeah. just let's get to a place where the walk happens as opposed to let's map it out too much on the front end and there's a lot of local trails around um the new market aurora area that are really accessible and you know you don't have to commit a full day but you get the refreshment and you get the Oh, I don't know. You get the rejuvenation out of it where you've sort of the experience is very different than you kind of mentioned that limitations of the four walls. Mm -hmm. What's what's your what's your view of, you know, what's what is being, you know, when you work with with younger kids, either the you know, the primaries or juniors, um, what is it about that that age that really, really does lend itself well to outdoor learning? What do you think it is? So I think this whole, um, I think it's the curiosity, right? They are still asking questions about the world. They're still so curious about it. Um, and it's just innate, right? Um, the why, why, why questions. If you tap into that and allow that to lead your learning, it's, um, it engages them, it engages you. And I think those learners... Um, that curiosity just is unending, right? And as long as you don't shut it down and provide, I think as an outdoor educator, it's often hard to not just provide answers. I think traditionally outdoor education was very much, a, you know, let's walk on the trail. Let me tell you all that I have in my head. I can tell you all the species that I know in the flora and fauna. And I feel like there's this really amazing transformation happening that um, in all of education that is really honoring inquiry-based learning and place-based learning and slowing it down and um, really taking the hat of expert off and placing the hat on that's just, you know, I'm the guide from the side that's going to um, just really encourage those questions and encourage the thinking um, 
you know, provide some trail maps here and here and there, some some signage to help them along their journey. But really, they're leading the way. They really, they really are, um, and that's exciting for me um, to watch. And and it's interesting for me as an educator. It keeps it real. Like <laughs> you're out there, and yes, I know the name of that tree, right? But um, to see their curiosity and ask questions that I never could have imagined. Um, and where they take the learning and and to compare that maybe to one group versus the next and how different it can look um, over the same thing that they're seeing is is incredible I like I like the um <laughs> it's funny that the why 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 I've I've come yeah. to I've come to appreciate it I can you know as a parent and my kids going there I I work to sort of stay in that space because the yeah being open to the why, why, why. It's it's funny. I've, I've done a lot of reflection this past summer about the work I need to do to sort of dive a little bit deeper into um, move move away from marks, get closer to, you know, better feedback, better conversation loops for students, reduce the number of summatives. So get that conversation. I guess what it kind of comes down to is get the conversations that happen inside education less teachery. That's the one half. The second half, I've started to really question, I've started to inquire about my own inquiry skills and the expectation that a really great question that excites the answerer, did I say that right? Is it as important as a question that excites the questioner? And I had a hard time. I, it was sort of like over the summer, it was an aha moment. My expectation that my students should be asking questions that excite me isn't as important as them finding a question that excites them. I don't, I don't necessarily, I, w- I would happy, I would be more than happy to be excited by great questions from my students. But I love the fact that they find questions that keep them interested. And when I watch my own children right now, the age that they're at, they tend to be a lot of why, why, why without, without much sort of um, substantive extension on that. But the energy is there. Like they want to know why that bug has six legs. They want to know um, why is that why is that log leaning on that rock? And I can completely fabricate an answer. Sometimes I know, sometimes I don't. Yeah. But I realize I have to check my. Oh, why are you asking this question again? Because it's a question that excites them. What does that bring to mind for you? Just that endless number of questions. Are you? So whenever someone brings up questions, it takes me right back to, um, I took a four school practitioner course and um, through four schools, Canada, and in the middle of uh, our five days in Canmore, Alberta, our instructor from the UK was talking about how like it's an art to ask questions, right? And to interact through question and that there should be a PhD on, on uh-huh. questioning, right? And I agree. And we actually talked for hours about it. What, um, as an educator, there, there, it's such a delicate balance of what question um, you ask initially, uh, and maybe you shouldn't be asking it initially. Maybe it's the students that ask the initial question, and then how to follow up and how to lead without leading, <laughs> right? How to mm-hmm. lead from behind with your questions and. Um, sometimes you nail it and you feel it, you walk away like, oh, that was beautiful. I really like, I felt like I didn't interfere with the learning, but I was just keeping it going in the direction that maybe, you know, there's a specific learning goal that you need to get to. And you can see the the map maybe mm-hmm. in your mind of the, the curriculum for that grade. And you really want to maybe get them someplace. And there's a, um, there's that reality. We still have to cover curriculum. Um, but then um, there's sometimes that you just, you shut it down, right? Your, your question is the wrong question. And um, sometimes I've looked at video uh, from this past year and I've, and I've captured some video that I didn't intend mm-hmm. to capture. <laughs> the, the time when you have your phone on and yeah. you don't realize it and it's videoing. And I've listened to myself and I've listened to the, the good and the bad, right? In terms of um, my questions or my directives when they're not supposed to be directives. So I, I really would love to pursue a masters or phd in questioning if i had if i had time <laughs> no i totally i totally get it i've had so when i when i came into when i came into teaching i was fortunate i actually got to teach grade 11 hospitality and one of the things that i that i broke 
and it wasn't I fixed it. You sort of break something, and then all you say to your, all I said to myself is I'm not going to break that again. So I didn't actually. It wasn't an actual fix. Okay. It's like I'm not going to do that thing again. When you realize that there is um, you're you're creating negative energy in the classroom. So one of the things that I did, and it was definitely, um, it was a chef thing. So coming out of hospitality, the scrutiny that I would put my staff under all the time um, was entirely because it was a bureaucracy, right? There was a business that, that I was running. It was, there was always numbers that drove the outcome and, and the goal, if you will. It wasn't necessarily about the relationships, although that was important too. It was about the money at the end, about the numbers. So scrutiny was very finely focused, making sure that things, you know, the labor was balanced and waste was balanced and that the customers were happy. It was, it was easy checklists. So when I moved into the classroom and I was teaching hospitality, I taught like that. And what I would do is I would draw attention right away to the successes to the whole group. And in my mind, I thought, okay, this group over here is making an amazing bread dough. Come on over, everybody come on over. Come on over and see how amazing this bread dough is, which may be valuable learning to see. But what I had broken was students flow in exploring their own learning. So okay. I quickly had to figure out how do I allow for that flow to continue for me to observe it and for the students to not feel like they're under that lens of constant scrutiny. And I didn't have an answer right away. It wasn't until I started adding in digital tools and saying, okay, you're going to be tracking your own learning and keep a food blog and all this kind of stuff. And then I would review it outside of class time as opposed to always stopping learning and saying, hey, everybody, look at this. Look how awesome this group is. And I think early years, yeah, it does that really well, right? In terms of not interrupting the flow of the day, like kids really get in a groove and why pull them aside from their deep learning when you can just sit and maybe just observe for a little while and find out you know, what they're digging deeply into um, and you get more out of them that way, right? Especially for, I guess, especially for our mm. early learners. But um, I think I've, I've been arguing lately that play is, you know, or, or I mean, play can look very differently. Play can look uh, like someone playing with food and creating something, right? Um, I think um, if we if we interrupt that flow at any age, right? Think of ourselves as adults when you're really into something and someone, you know, interjects with the and takes you in a totally different direction. It's really frustrating, right? Um, and so I think I'm advocating for play in all um, all levels. And I think um, there has been, you know, a lot of discussion around risky play and um, play in terms of through loose parts um, and just letting kids have the time to um, really um, do first and then reflect after uh, is really important from what I have seen. Yeah, I have um, was following a conversation just late last week between two two did members two two humans in my digital pln um andrew campbell and aviva dunziger and aviva is a huge she's got a play space out back she's got an outdoor classroom um she's i think in jksk and in talking with her aside from this conversation i said man i just had this image of you because she posts a lot of she posts a lot of stuff to instagram so she has all the uh, agreements and sign-offs with her families and you know she blocks out faces but she posts a lot of videos so that's one of her assessment tools and i said i just have this vision of you kind of like in a tree stand or like some sort of a leaf suit <laughs> hiding down between you know two rocks to capture these two students that are organizing sticks in a fashion they're building a bridge with mud and supports and structures and putting rocks on it to see if it'll stand and she said it's kind of like that she really does stay back from identifying learning if it interrupts the play and her perspective yep. seems to be i don't want to speak on her behalf but what i observe in this which is very different from my reality is that in the classroom if a let's say if a student writes a, a good piece a, a good poem i think in some ways clapping and crying and wanting to give the student a hug for that poem is an is a powerful feedback tool, probably more powerful than saying you've satisfied the success criteria for figurative writing. So Absolutely. introducing those assessment tools into the conversation for me has always been a struggle or it's a struggle to find the balance basically 
what's your take on learning while playing? Because the conversation between Aviva and Andrew that I started with is that Andrew's contention was that if it's actual play, then it's without intention. If you're learning, there's intention. Yeah, and I think... I think it paves the way for learning, right? I think okay. that play takes you to the learning if you allow it to, if you give it enough time. Um, I've seen people sort of, I've seen groups of students, you know, 10 minutes just doesn't doesn't cut it, right? They need to be immersed in play for, I think, a, a chunk of time. Um, and then that really does lead to um intellectual learning, social learning, physical learning, right? Emotional learning. Um, mm-hmm. I think it it is uh, the foundational for um, all the other skills that come later. And um, I mean, I think when I watch my own kids, when I watch students that I teach, um, it amazes me uh, how I can actually pinpoint someone who's around the same developmental age. I can tell if someone's good at play. <laughs> Does that make sense? And then yeah. I can compare and say, wow, well, that's too bad. That kid really hasn't had an opportunity to, to play in rich environments, right? And um, sometimes kids just sit there and they don't know what to do with loose parts. They don't know what to do, right, with themselves um, because they really have, they don't have those, those skills, those foundational skills. So I think... Um, yeah, I think that play is crucial. And and I'm just through um, Forest School Canada, I'm learning so much more about play in the outdoors as well. So, I mean, outdoor play is is not, you know, playing a sport. It's it's freely chosen. It's They have directed what they're doing. It's intrinsically motivated. And obviously in outdoor play, it's outside. But um, they're really driving it themselves. There is no adult telling them, you know, why don't you do this? Or um, here, here is a provocation to use these and use them a certain way. And there's a template to, to, to say, create this, right? It's really mm-hmm. just freely choice, uh, chosen. So student voice and choice, right, is, is, is the key to um, outdoor play. Um, and it's wonderful to watch. I want to I want to take you back to the the Trails Youth Initiative, if you're cool with that. Sure. So, um, again, one of the one of the things that I've observed is that when we talk, not when we sorry, wrong start. What I've observed is that when when outdoor education or play uh, place based, I I guess play, but let's say place based education occurs, what I've seen is that when it's junior and primary the focus is learning primarily when we're talking about junior into intermediate and senior it tends to be about self-regulation have you noticed this and i'm talking about a little bit a little bit how it's how it's marketed and i could be missing resources and if there's other resources that kind of equalize that but it strikes me that we're we're that the that there's more time spent developing that voice and choice and play evolving into learning at the younger ages and then when we include that exact same type of initiative that someone at that table is saying well you know what it would be really great if we had outdoor education because high school students are stressed and they need mindfulness right have you have you noticed anything in that balance i think it's more about a a a we're noticing almost too late, right? <laughs> um, okay. In the high school level, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a problem, right? And saying, oh, wait a second, <laughs> right? Um, we we really need this. And I think uh, we needed it, right, uh, 10 years before that um, as more of um, a foundational skill, right? Um, but I hear you. I, I just think I would maybe... I would be inclined to say that there's so much talk about self-regulation now in the early, earlier years too, that, um, that probably weaves all the way through, but, um, there's actually, uh, Jacob Rodenberg, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly, um, at Camp, it's not coming to me, but he's developed this, um, kind of continuum of, outdoor we could call it environmental literacy or environmental learning 
Um, he's looked at different developmental stages, which is interesting, actually, and it ties into what you're you're saying at the different um, the different stages. So I'm interested in that was just introduced to us at our outdoor ed team before the summer, and I've been digesting it, and it it was shaped in in the form of a pyramid, um, which also fascinates me, right? I, I, I love models and I, and I was working around this model thinking, I don't know if it's a, a pyramid as much as a continuum. Um, but I do think that, uh, all skills are developed at different, right? Uh, at different stages, just on a different level. Um, when I, when I worked with trails kids, I think, um, they're, their deal was more about um, personal, like learning about themselves. Um, but when I thought about play, I actually could see them on a Friday night. We'd pick them up from downtown Toronto. They'd arrive at our site and they'd still be guarded, right? They'd still have that kind of bubble of protection. Like, you're not going to talk to me. You're not going to get at me. <laughs> um, just this hardness. And by we would see the flow. And by Saturday there would be a, you know, a softer side and would open up. And then by Sunday, by the time they would have to get in the van and, and go home Sunday afternoon, it would almost be like that protection, right, would be put back on again. Um, but they love to play when they were there. When I think back, like, they were playing, literally kick the can and camouflage out in the forest. And they didn't have a chance to do that at any other time except, and they told me this, you know, my time at trails is allows me to be a kid, but you know these were fifteen and sixteen year olds. But um, I think that play um, is valuable at any age, and I and I think especially when I think back to trails kids and and on the canoe trips, the same thing, right? They just craved playing <laughs> all the time, um, but through that would learn about themselves and learn about. Um, you know, their boundaries and um, problem solving and um, critical thinking and all those all those skills. But um, yeah, I could I can just picture them. <laughs> Eventually, when they felt comfortable, they would come on a Friday night and that at that that hardness would, I guess that process would be speeded up a little bit more. And sometimes they would, um, they would be planning before their weekend what they were going to do with one another, right? So I don't know if that answers your question. I went on a little bit of a tangent, but yeah, that it totally works. It's it's a challenge that I guess what I'm I'm, it's, I I get the continuum. Totally get the continuum. Um, totally agree with you as well. Is that the focus? Let's say the the focus of self regulation right now, it it is going towards the junior grades. It is saying we need to help them to be able to help themselves. Um, and what I just had observed was that it's the 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 learning again the learning that seems to be the focus from let's say play-based education or place-based education um the learning is takes up a lot of the space and then um self-regulation can be as a i guess as an outcome yeah of that outdoor education and where i see that kind of flipped a little bit at secondary is that some of the um so some of the programming that i've seen that includes outdoor classroom they can do a lot of different things now um i look at almost outdoor classroom the use of an outdoor classroom it's fantastic if you have a green space out back that is unlike the concrete or let's say four walls institutional look that you have from but i also look at place based as just you know what as a class we're going to go have a walk around the track and have a conversation or we're going to go just sit out in a on a park bench and get a little bit of sun on our faces a little bit of a little bit of, um, you know, clean air or unfiltered air. Yep. Or we're going to walk and get a tea. We're just going to, we're going to have movement. We're going to make it maybe kind of mindful. And we're going to spend time outside of this space. And, you know, maybe a conversation that we can bring back into the classroom will happen. So I'm kind of, and and more times than not, I see at the sort of elementary is that it's woven into the classroom experience. Right. And at secondary, I see it's a field trip. Right. And that's just the it's and again it's just me obser- observing on the outside, which strikes me. If you are you mentioned you're coming into a new role, I imagine one of the challenges is how do you speak to the continuum, and not get 
kind of like sidetracked by the, well, I can't do a field trip like that because I teach English. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge. And I, I hear you. I think that, um, I think that we have a lot of work to do, right. Um, in, in all levels, but definitely I know that there's not as much, um, there's not as much happening board wide in secondary, in the secondary panel. And I agree with you. Maybe it's, it's compartmentalized versus a more regular repeated access to a natural space, um, which is what lends itself to connecting to a place, right? It doesn't have to be a beautiful green space. It could be just a patch of, right? <laughs> a patch of a few trees right outside your, your, your building. But I think it's the regular repeated and seeing that space in different seasons and noticing and looking closely and seeing it change and alter. So if you're having that tea, you know, it's different having a tea in the fall versus having it. What does it feel like to have the tea in the winter, right? How do you, how do you need to do that, right? Uh, what does it look mm -hmm. like um, in the spring when things are changing? So I think um, encouraging that at the secondary level of um, how do you weave that into an English class, right? If you're mm -hmm. writing poetry and you're writing poetry about, um, you know, different seasons. Um, I think it, it is a challenge, um, especially in the secondary uh, scheduling, right? Um, I know a lot of people who have tried integrated credit programs have found that um, they're hugely successful with the right person running it. And once that person leaves, it kind of falls apart, right? right. Um, but it needs to, to build momentum. People almost like need to talk about it. And students obviously sharing, like, this is an amazing opportunity. Let's do it. But it's really risky for many students in secondary to, um, you know, take on that integrated credit, I think, with with all the pressures there are right now and at the secondary level of, you know, are they going to learn as much in an integrated credit program, right? Are they yeah. going to get to, are they going to tick the boxes that they need to tick to get to college or university? And I think um, therein lies the constant pressure that every teacher faces, right? The curriculumitis versus the, but I got into teaching because I really want to help this person become the best person that they can be and become mm -hmm. a contributing member to our society. And, and I want them to be able to give back and um, feel like they're valued and, you know, recognize them for their gifts. And how do we do both? Right. Um, that's a constant, constant challenge. Mm -hmm. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous about that part. I think that um, I, I think that it is a big it's a big job, right? This position and trying to build capacity. All I can think of is that if we have wonderful people on our board, like we've already talked mm -hmm. about, um, we have so many um, just forward thinkers. We have so many teams that are actually ready and have already contacted me and said, like, how can I help? What can we do? Can we create videos? Can we create, right? Can I work with the DLRTs and create some um, really interesting, right? Um, things you know math team has said what what can I do <laughs> what can we do to work with outdoor learning so I think there's so many entry points um you know Pamela Agua with uh First Nations Métis Inuit team right like mm -hmm. there's such a wonderful opportunity there for partnership and I think there already is a partnership there so just building on that is um is a wonderful thing and if secondary students just um and elementary students are just using the spaces that they have and valuing those spaces and being grateful for those spaces on a regular basis, that will be like a win-win at the end of this, right? Mm -hmm. End of this term, if I feel like there's movement and momentum that people are using their spaces more and don't feel like they have to get on a bus and go somewhere and have it be a big, massive, right? Like seven-day canoe trip that they can do place-based education and outdoor education right outside their door to make it accessible, then that I think that's a win-win. Yeah, it's you bring to mind, I always like to um I always like to build um kind of like thought capacity before sometimes even before before action. So I think one of the th one of the things that occurs what occurs to me in this is that if you are using the space around your school whatever that footprint might be, whatever the grass area might be, whatever the, if you, if you sort of choose to see the whole school as a learning space, then you automatically are demonstrating 
um, a slightly, let's say, a different point of view than someone who wishes to be just in a classroom. But I think it also automatically opens the doors to a conversation around, okay, I'm using the field out back, but I need some trees. I'm using the track. But you know what? I need some rocks to climb. Or, you know, we're walking the neighborhood. We need bike paths. And it, it, there's a, that's the type of thought capacity that I think starts to change not only community point of view, but also I think sometimes I, I like to believe board point of view, where when they are starting to survey, okay, what do we need in this new school we're about to open? We got this great space right downtown Aurora, across from coffee shop, bus line. So they look at this. Um, you know, concrete bound classroom that happens. Well, yeah, concrete bound learning space. Somebody in that group has to say, yeah, but remember you have those three schools that are talking about they need trees and they need like a little river. Can we tweak the design? Can we move the school? Can we include that in the sort of like must haves, the the non-negotiables in this design first, and then we'll build the concrete around it. I love that you brought up the concept of design. And I've, I've, one of the things I've said to people is that I, wouldn't that be so cool to be part of that initial team that designs the school from the beginning, right? Um, just to have that, that different perspective. And um, when I worked at Civil Point Outdoor Education Centre, a, a lot of um, the conversations we had were about that and that, you know, we didn't, we didn't necessarily, our goal didn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, all students that um, left the center or had these experiences um, that connected them to, to nature went on to become, you know, David Suzuki's. That our goal was that wherever they landed in their positions, whether it be at a board table discussing school design or subway design or city design, right, that, that they would have that perspective, right, of, Mm-hmm. Um, of environment and connection and balance and sustainability and that we need more people around the table that are bringing up that perspective and bring and having a voice. And so um, I think that school design, there's so there's a lot going on right now in terms of uh, schoolyard design and the school that I was at last year, um, so lucky to have the support of our parents, right? And uh, our parents are amazing at that school. They've they've raised money to to shift the the space, right? We 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 didn't go to them and say, "Here's what we need as uh, educators." Our um, our angle was that we went to the students and and the students visioned the school space. Um, they we encouraged them to dream big. Uh, we had a huge assembly. They had maps. They 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 created their dream school. Um, we consolidated. We had it down to you know twenty images that were from them that they were able to vote on. And then the parents said, "Wow, this is right. This is what our students want. How can we help you?" And they ended up raising um, over six thousand dollars last year. Wow, um, which is so incredible. Like parents. Um, and guardians in our communities, like we really can can tap into them when it comes to because I, I think it's it's frustrating for people to walk in, especially our new schools. There's so many new schools in New York region that are just blank slates, right? They feel like I, I can't do anything with this. I have I have no shade. I have no right. I have no nature. Um, but I think um, one of the things that I I love doing is talking to people about those barriers and saying, okay, what are the barriers? We're like, let's 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 go. Pa- let's get past those barriers. What what can we do? Um, and but I but I definitely agree with you in that instead of just looking at the barriers and 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 fixing those, you know, looking way back, you know, backwards design and saying we should plant those trees to begin with would be um, would be ideal instead of having schools, you know, fundraise thousands of dollars or get grants and such to 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 create that ideal environment, um, but. If you're in that state, I think my advice is that um, connecting with your parent group and your community group is is so valuable. And there's so many resources out there that will help you plant trees and create those green spaces and design that school ground so that it's not just, you know, a lot of people will raise $100,000 to put a um, play structure in. And now the research is showing that play structure may not be the best choice, right? Like there's lots yeah. of other options that are 
much more valuable and provide much more, you know, greater entry points for all kinds of different students, greater problem solving, et cetera. And um, that's what our school, the school I was at last year was venturing into this, you know, multi-phase plan of how we could um, create this ideal outdoor learning environment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's great. There's actually something happening in Ottawa, I think, in uh, end of September. There's um, an internationally renowned, and I can't remember his name, I'm sorry, it's on the Four Schools Canada website. Um, he's doing a talk on and a workshop the following day on uh, school design, which will be great. It's, it's when I was looking at um, some, of the, some of the posting in the York region, the Nature Collaborative, and it started to think, I started to think about, and I think I I did post this to you that idea of the ungoogleable classroom. I love like if that. You throw, yeah, if you throw if you throw classroom into that search, you're not going to see any of this stuff. Like like an image search, you're not going to see that. Um, you're not going to see the stuff that I mean. Some of the images that are on their Facebook page look like a makerspace from a classroom. Yeah. Like the stuff that they're doing, I'm like, yeah. I mean, they're they're doing they're doing classroom activities in open air and it just started to make me think about you know you know that idea when you you're going to when you speak to the value of having the outdoor classroom or place-based education it it made me think about do we need maybe some new language it's sometimes in the comparison as soon as we say classroom it provides sometimes the safety of understanding but sometimes it puts it puts the walls up and I was in a similar space when um, talking to this, this really cool guy, um, Arthur, who is all about uh, going gradeless. And that whole process of going gradeless as a, as a teacher, the focus is like, okay, so what you're saying, you're not going to mark anything. And I said to him, I said, is it a problem in the language? As in, we're using words from one context that don't translate well. We're forcing them to sort of work in another context. And what we're not doing, we're not building understanding in the new context, as in we're not building understanding about what it means to be outdoors by calling it a classroom. What we're doing is maybe limiting it by calling it a classroom. Well, I think it's two So I put that to you. What's what's your thought? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, David Sobel um, talks a lot about place-based education. And he says, don't call it a walk. Walks are for adults, right? Adventures are for children. Adventures are for children. And it makes so much sense. And York Region Nature Collaborative, grab that quote. And we do an adventure walk for our families every year at the Courtright Center. And it's a free event. Everyone's welcome. But it's it really is just, um, it's an adventure because you don't know where it's going to take you. I think that's what kids love about adventures. And it's honoring that student-centered right centered approach. It's saying mm-hmm. It's saying you get to be a leader here you get to decide um what is it that you would like to do today what is it that you're curious about um here are some things that we can do but there's no prerequisite of what order you have to do them in and where you you know here's a map like let's go and wherever um the interest takes us you know within the time constraints and we'll have to figure it out together in terms of compromise but um i think that that lends itself to just that shift of a word right if um, people will say, you know, I'm going to go hiking with my kids. I'm like, no, no, don't say the word hike. For some reason, that word, that language just lends itself to um, not having the magic that it can have with kids, right? So I try to not mm-hmm. use those. I try to just use adventure, right, um, to, to bring that magic in. Um, but it also got me to think about what was the other thing I was going to mention um, in terms of language. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of chat. I went down to the Dr. Eric Salong word Jackman Institute um, down via OASE. It's a laboratory school all around inquiry. And I spoke with the principal there, the administrator. I don't even think he calls himself a principal. Um, I think he's he has a different different language altogether there. Um but they have to follow the Ontario curriculum. And I asked him about assessment and he said, you know what? The one thing that we did at the school was we do not talk about tests. The the word test does not exist. The word quiz does not exist. Do we assess them? Do we do quizzes and tests? 
you'd probably say yes, but he said, we just changed the language. So he said, our students here will say that they are surveyed. That's the only shift that they made. They're surveying them. They're surveying them based on what they know at the beginning, what they might know, you know, in the middle and what they know at the end of, um, you know, an engaged inquiry. And, and, mm-hmm. and they let them know that that end, you know, that um, final survey is not really a final survey. It's just what they know to that point because they might revisit an inquiry later in the year and something might spark them the conversation again and then they might survey it later. So he said that language shift in their school, I think it's a K to six school, had a huge impact, a ripple effect in terms of how students felt and their anxiety around assessment and evaluation. So I thought that was interesting, like just to change quiz to test or quiz and test to to survey. Um, it, it for some reason has an impact on how we view um, learning, and it maybe it shows like how much damage we've done of the negativity that's associated the bubble around right um, quizzing and testing and. Um, you know, reminds me about it, it or it takes me to the place of, you know, math right now and how we have this um, mindset that's really negative around math and we're trying to shift that, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's with everything. We we need to shift our mindset around education and, and assessment, evaluation. And um, yeah, I think that's important. And with outdoors, it's the same. I think we've talked about a mindset, right? An outdoor mindset. What does it mean to have an outdoor mindset? Um, it's similar to a growth mindset, but it's a little bit different in the outdoors. So, um, you know, what does it mean to step outside in the rain with your kids when it was an indoor recess, right? Um, it can feel pretty empowering to walk outside and walk past classes and they're going, whoa, they're going outside still and it's raining. (laughs) Um, that's, you know, it's a mindset shift. And I, we had a new, um, secretary come to our school and she said, oh, my goodness, at my previous school, if parents had seen you walk outside in the rain, I would have had a phone call in 30 seconds. And I wow. said, oh, would they be calling to say that's so great? <laughs> and she said, <laughs> she said, no, no, they'd be calling to complain. And I said, that's so fascinating to me that that mindset is so different from one part of our board mm-hmm. to another because the, the school I was at last year, the mindset was like fantastic send them outside. I love seeing you guys outside. I will send extra socks. How can I help you? Can I volunteer? Can I come with you? Can I bring my baby? Like they, they were um, just very supportive. So how do we shift that mindset in our, in all of our communities um, with our colleagues, right? Uh, when people don't necessarily have that mindset, right? Yeah, it's uh, th- there's that innov- innovator's mindset, which even to label it, it's that funny thing about labeling the moment. Does it do it any justice? So when my kids are climbing in the tree and they like my own children and they get up to that next branch, you know, one of the two of them are like, look, daddy, look like they're 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 looking for that feedback and assessment and acknowledgement that they've leveled up. Yeah, I love the moments, though, where they don't. They just kind of go and do something that in my mind, it might go, oh, I should tell them to come like, but this is a brave moment. Like you sort of, and to even call it out as brave, I think sometimes gives gives an improper marker as in you don't have to return to this exact spot and activity to demonstrate positive risk and bravery. Mm-hmm. You just have to get comfortable with making those decisions. Yeah. And I think that's what's really demonstrated when someone goes outside of the classroom or outside the box, let's say, and say, you know what, just because it's raining outside, there is no harm that comes to you from, well, unless you turn it into a science lesson and you know factories are side, <laughs> you know, yeah. unless you actually know something about the composition of the rain, yeah. going outside or being outside where it's a little bit cold or a little bit, you know, breezy or, or sunny for that matter, um, existing in that outdoor space, it's not that it's the argument that it's somehow safer, or better to be inside of the four walls becomes moot because when you can tease out why it's great to be outside. Well, and in fact, there's a new, there's this position statement that came out that um, identified that it's actually riskier <laughs> to have kids inside 
Um, not, not, I mean, I mean, on a, on a larger scale, right? Exactly. Yeah. Broad swath. Yeah. Broad swath. Uh, yeah. riskier to have them inside than out. And so we need, and it actually backs it up with all this research for educators, for community members, for, you know, um, daycare, early childcare providers and, um, and parents. And it, it actually does a great job of laying it all down to say, um, the fears or the perceived fears that we have about those those risks, um, and, and it identifies you know the difference between a hazard and a risk. So, you mm-hmm. know the likelihood of harm and the severity of harm determines the level of risk. So, is it likely that we're going to be harmed outside in the rain? You know what's the severity of harm? Someone might be a little uncomfortable. We might have to come in, and they you know. They might have wet shoes. <laughs> we'll have to change their shoes. They might slip because it's right. There's there's a slippery rock. But what is that level yep. of risk, and what is the benefit? Um, do the benefits outweigh that that risk? And how, what can we do to mitigate that risk? What can we do to um, to reduce that risk? And you know, proper footwear and proper equipment and talking to them about stuff like that. Experience, right? That I think nothing replaces kids' experience, right? of, yeah, what did it feel like when you're on that rock and it was raining? It was slippery. Okay. So it really does build that foundation of uh, having an outdoor mindset and being capable and competent when they go outside and they can, they can teach others, right? (laughs) Which is what we want um, for them to then take their parents outside on the weekends and say, be careful, mom, (laughs) when it rains, the rocks are slippery. (laughs) Like that's Mm -hmm. a beautiful moment. No, but that's that's the generalization of learning that I crave in a lot of ways. The students that I work with, I often ask myself, will what what they've learned with me today, will it make it outside the classroom? Yeah. Well, heck, if it's already outside of what we, let's say, underscore, highlight, cross out, whatever you want to say, don't use the word classroom. But if they've already, if they, if they learn something in a, um, in a school setting, whatever the school setting that might be, I'd say a huge a huge measure of success is whether or not they're willing to share it with somebody else. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times my kids have <laughs> come to me and said, you know, they, I do something like Mrs. Smith said, you shouldn't do that daddy. So they're talking, referring to, you know, what are their teachers? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. Daddy made a mistake. You're right. Yeah. It, but you know, don't walk on the rocks or, you know, you, this is, this is a raspberry eat the raspberries from higher on the bush or yeah. this is, peppermint right this is a leaf you can't eat like this type of outdoor knowledge generalizing to life is the sweet spot eh well and i i gotta say it warmed my heart this summer um all these students that i got to work with last year um in my role of basically not being inside the classroom all year (laughs) just taking them outside was that i had all these messages through the summer and i didn't i didn't mind like i i welcomed it because i think i sent a message on our canoe trip uh to quetico and i got this like all these pictures of students um saying oh so and so wanted you know mrs murray to see me in our forest or magical forest or so and so recognized milkweed and wanted to show you a picture and it was just lovely to know that that um ripple effect was happening and that kids were going outside with their families all summer right it was it was continuing and um you know at the end of the year i gave them you know so called homework and their homework was really to just get outside um mm-hmm. but i think it was just lovely to to see the continuation and you know i've had some parents contact me saying um i'm I, I didn't know this at the time, but I'm in the board too, and I'd really love support. I would like to start doing what you were doing. Like, I didn't know there was outdoor education roles in a school, and and really there aren't, but they're they're starting to creep up, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is happening. Like, you know, a modern learning leadership role is turning into a outdoor learning role, right? Slash modern learning, um, because um, outdoor learning fits beautifully within modern learning and. Um, I think that's the community, the the opportunity for community um, involvement in this movement, I guess we could call it, or this direction that we're going in to get kids mm-hmm. outside and learning outside is powerful, right? Um, parents may or may not engage in, right, um, math, but well, they might, but they might have their own, right, hesitation in doing that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but going outside is... Um, brings them back to their own childhood and 
um, it really connects families and is a beautiful thing. So I'm finding that that community draw is is really powerful. So we're we're creeping up to the end here, and I got I got the the I'll tell you that the heart of the heart of the podcast, at least you know my my 1.0 season of it was looking at some of the cool changes in ed- education, and definitely the, the sub subtext to this is you know including the stuff that makes the teachers feel like they're thriving alongside with their students and i got yeah i mean i i from the get-go i get it you love your teaching area you love what you're doing in education i um i don't think anyone listening to this podcast would would argue that at all i'm curious about what you're chasing next so you've mentioned before that you're moving into a new role and it's a new role for the board um if if I say, don't speak to that directly, mm-hmm. but let's talk to let's say outdoor education as a broader a broader palette here, a bigger landscape. What is it within that that broader landscape that you feel, you know, is is that you're chasing going into September? Is it a, a mindset? Is it an activity? Is it a, a specific um, sort of strategy? What are you thinking? Um, there's lots of sort of things that I've mapped out. Um, but I think the most crucial thing is that I have learned in, especially when you're really passionate about something and you could probably (laughs) connect to this with, um, technology, right? Some people just feel really anxious around technology. And I had to have a little conversation with you to prep for this. I've never done a podcast Mm -hmm. before. Um, But when you are encouraging others to step outside the box and take risks and, you know, be daring um, and do something new, you have to meet them where they're at, right? And so I think what I have learned um, in in just honoring everyone's place along that um, outdoor learning, if we want to call it continuum or uh, that outdoor mindset continuum, right? That we all, um, we are where we are and you have to meet someone there. And then um, I've been labeled late recently as a nudger, right? That um, I'm not a pusher, I'm just a nudger, right? That um, you're gently um, bringing Mm -hmm. them along and, if they want to, right? It, really, it has to do with if they want to, and it has to be intrinsic, just like we're asking of our students to drive the learning. We need to ask um, each other, our colleagues, to do the same thing. And if it's something folks are interested in, in um, building capacity, then just uh, really forming that network and uh, like mentorship group, because, you know, this position alone, you know, you can't, oh, we have a um, actually a few others on the outdoor education team, um, we, we need mentorship happening in our board, right? And it's already happening. And there's so many key people that um, can help to build that capacity that I think it's just really um, honoring people where, where they're at. And I think you can't fake the passion of outdoor learning, right? You, <laughs> you really, really can't. Um, it's uh, kids can sort of see right through that. And so mm-hmm. what I found is that it's really hard to ask people to take kids outside in, a, in an authentic way and, in a, you know, experientially with passion um, if they haven't had the experience themselves. And I find that a lot of us have sort of lost that maybe connection that we had when we were kids, right, to mm-hmm. the natural world. And I feel like the first step is almost if we want people to inspire their kids, they have to be inspired themselves and they have to have those experiences and, you know, they need to feel what it's like to sit on a sit spot and really just, right? <laughs> um, no, I gotcha. Be mindful. So I think that's a lot of the the vision of the, of the board and I'm, you know, I'm definitely <laughs> on that mindset is to um, really build a really strong network of educators Um, And I say educators because I think oftentimes we've said teachers and we haven't included all of our educators. And I think Mm -hmm. um, I'm really trying to focus my language on that because so many people have come up to me and said, wow, like there's all this professional development, but it's not available to me. Why isn't it, you know, and and I'll say, well, why isn't it available to you? I didn't I didn't realize that. And now we're really trying as a board to make everything available to everyone. 
Um, and we have a custodian in our board who basically, you know, should be um, hailed as the environmental mentor of the world, right? She's yeah. amazing in what she does in her school. Um, and so it's like, it's just finding a place for everybody on that continuum. And if they want to, to, to shift through venturing or, you know, learning from others or just diving in and taking a risk and um, learning along the way, then I would like to be somebody who can support that. So I'm trying to brainstorm how, right? How do I support that? What can I provide? How can I connect all the dots um, with all the things that are already happening? Um, how can I, like you said, the, the ungoogleable classroom, how can I make it more accessible so that you can Google, right? And you can, yeah, you can find, to come up on the list. yeah, let's, let's, let's have us on the list. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, some people need a, how do I start, right? Tools. Um, some people need, um, some guidance there. And so how can we provide those tools? Um, that's sort of a, a starting point, but lots of, lots of, you know, thoughts about, um, parent engagement as well. And, um, I really would like to, uh, develop a, a directory of <clears throat> expertise in our communities, right? What, what do we have that we can tap into already, right? The, the knowledge is in the room, the knowledge is in the community. How can we tap into that? How can we make that accessible? Um, so mm -hmm. if we're in the middle of a, a beautiful inquiry outside, that if we have an expert in our community that could come in and um, speak to our students, that that is, that is available and accessible to us. Um, so trying to think about things like that as well. That's awesome. Beyond the scope of stepping into the new role, new role for you, new role for board, I'm excited for you. I'm totally excited for you. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> You're welcome. So um, we're at the end. We made it. That wasn't as hard as I thought. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. But before before we completely, you know, get on get on to our days and our adventure walks or wherever the rest of the the few hours, the eclipse today, I guess. Yeah. Um, what? Um, where would you like to be found? If people are reaching out, they want to have a another conversation with you or share ideas or share resources. Where would you like to be found? Right. So probably Twitter is the best. I'm uh, at Inspire Outside. Um, which kind of connected to our board's vision of um, inspire learning. And I changed that to inspire outside. Um, that's probably the best way. And I'd love to connect with people. I don't even know my extension at my new job yet. So um, we'll be diving in in September and uh, Twitter is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Cool. I'll include that in the, uh, in the show notes. Amazing. And thank you for you know, giving me your time. In the summer, I appreciate you taking time out of family time. That was very cool, and I'm happy that we we made the connection today. I am too. Thanks so much, and and huge gratitude for um, all the work that's being done to, you know, make learning more accessible and um, engage students more. Because I think, um, yeah, we're doing some great things in our board, and I love that um, you're speaking to all of those great things. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And when I get to meet new instructors and, you know, be able to showcase a little bit of the awesome that's going on, it makes it easy. Cool. Well, thanks for teaching so, me about podcasts. <laughs> you're very welcome. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Cool. And uh, definitely good luck in September. Thanks so much, Chris. Take care. Yeah. Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on Podbean and iTunes. If you want to have a conversation on the podcast, please reach out to me. Probably the best way to connect with me is on Twitter. So that would be at Chris J. Clough. I also blog a little bit on WordPress. Feel free to check in on some of those topics. And I really do appreciate the time you spent with the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic evening.